Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we're heading to Louisville talking about my Cardinals tonight. Tell us about who we've got here with us to talk about them. Friend of the show, Mark Ennis, 93.9 The Bill. Mark, going on, man? Uh, it's good to be back with you guys, man. I'm ready for a football season. It seems like it's been a, a really long offseason around here. Sure has for pretty much every ACC program other than like maybe three of them. So <laughs> appreciate you coming back and joining us here. Um, we're looking forward to an exciting 2023 with Louisville. You know, we, we talked to you back in March, and so uh, some of this ground is, is stuff we've already covered. But obviously coming into year one with Jeff Brom, the way that that happened really felt like it was incredibly fortuitous for, for Louisville with uh, Scott Satterfield picking up and leaving. Um, Jeff Brom coming off of a, a division championship, if I'm remembering right, for Purdue um, and felt like, you know, the time had come for him to come home to Louisville. I was going to ask you, with the way that that all went down, and the more that I think about it at this point, if Scott Satterfield had not raised his hand and said, I'm leaving going to, to Cincinnati, I figure he would still be the head coach at Louisville at this point. Am I, am I right in thinking that, or was there any momentum there to potentially fire him and, and make that happen themselves? You know, not by the end of the year, like after the – or, you know, around the bowl game. You know, even though the Kentucky game didn't go well uh, and they finished 7-5, and five, there was a really good recruiting class uh, that you figured they would be able to hold on to. So there, there really wasn't momentum to fire him. But it was about as like as dreadful of a middle as there there could have been. There was there wasn't anything egregious to fire him, but there was nothing to hang your hat on with him either. And Louisville was was basically going to be, I think, in a no win situation. They were going to have to do uh, like some of these, uh, like even when Jim Harbaugh kind of took a little bit of a pay cut uh, or something like that. It was going to have to be something where you, you just sort of paused this contract for a year. They weren't going to buy him out. But they weren't going to give him a raise and an extension either, and it was looking like there was it was a no win situation for for Josh Hurd, the the athletic director, and then basically Scott just solved it for them in a way that no one could have envisioned <laughs> uh, when it happened. So you know the the long long answer to your question is I don't know I don't know what they would have done, and he basically saved them from a from a no good answer situation. There were a lot of parallels I saw in the Satterfield situation. Of course, I'm a Virginia Tech alum, Mark. A lot of parallels mm -hmm. in the Satterfield situation to the Justin Fuente situation, except yeah. Virginia Tech had to eat the buyout. You know, they had to pay that buyout money, and they were in that kind of in that point where they weren't sure what they were going to do either. Satterfield just kind of coming out of nowhere and just up and leaving Cincinnati. I remember it was like real early morning i woke up and i was like wait a minute satterfield is not the coach of louisville anymore like what is going on this is a gift was, an absolute gift monday and i think it was the monday right after the end of the season yeah I think it was that quick. just a, yeah. a gift for yeah just a gift for louisville um and then obviously jeff brom a lot more interested i mean not that he wasn't interested before just the timing what he was building at purdue and just the time didn't make sense now he's now he's in, right? He's in this role, and Louisville fans have wanted him in this role for half a decade, right? And now he's here, and expectations are pretty high in year one. How has Brom, you know, coming in from a messaging standpoint, preached as, as far as building this program and, you know, hitting the ground running, and how does he feel about where things are at now entering year one and kind of what he's taking over with? 
Yeah, you know, I don't think he's done any kind of uh, talking down of expectations or anything like that. You know, and he ha- he certainly hasn't uh, started off with any kind of a, this is a rebuild, you know, or anything like that. Or you know, I'm going to need you to be patient or any of that stuff. They're really, I mean, he has not shied away from the idea of whatever it is that he has inherited. We can do something with this year one, and and I think to add to that part of that at least is the, the realization: how many years are we going to get? Kentucky and Notre Dame at home and not have Florida State, not have Clemson, not have North Carolina on the roster. Like He he realizes probably don't even have to be a whole lot better than you were a year ago. You're probably going to win nine games you know, in, in, in year one. Uh, and, and if you win the right nine games, you might, you might make the ACC championship game uh, that way. So he hasn't shied away from it. And where I think – I think he started to tell a little bit. After spring, I expected a little bit of movement with with transfers and such but i thought they felt good kind of about where they were and instead they were very very active and they brought in another quarterback and they brought in three more offensive linemen which i was surprised that that they did uh, and that told me like they they don't want to have the opportunity in year one derailed by a single injury like they wanted to make sure they could go all in like right in year one so i, I think they have high expectations for this year well, and I, I think that probably answers my question to a certain degree. If the expectations are high within the program and they're they're trumpeting it, I mean, again, like you said and kind of alluded to, there's been some some fanfare around this program possibly making some noise, being a dark horse program to make the ACC championship game or even win the whole league. I'm get, is the fan base, from what you can see, is it is the fan base split at all on like cautious optimism versus like full on? we're winning 10 games this year, kind of, you know, shameless optimism, or is it all, you know, is, is it all pretty, you know, pretty heavy optimism you know, across the board? Yeah. I got to say like there really has, uh, you could almost always count on there being, you know, a healthy uh, kind of bottom layer of people who like whatever the, the, the optimism is, they sort of pull it down a little bit. I mean, I don't know where those people are right now. <laughs> it's, it's been <laughs> a long time since there's been what, like unrestrained optimism, I guess, is probably the best way of saying it. You know, the last, Charlie's last two years, there was, I think you had a good bit of that. Uh, in some of Bobby's early years, there was a little bit of that. But it's been a good five, six years since there really was just, I think, faith that you were, you're going to win or always have a chance to win because of the coach. And that I think that's the biggest thing that you never got with Scott. You know, I think there was a floor below which they would never fall with him. But I don't think there was ever a single time where it felt like, man, that was really clever what they did there. They wouldn't have won this game if he wasn't the coach. Like, I don't think I ever, ever did that. And I think that there is an expectation of being able to do that with Jeff, like there has been with, with previous Louisville coaches that, that were just missing when Scott was here because he didn't, he didn't show that. All right, so quarterback position is interesting, not because Louisville doesn't have the quarterback position figured out, just because of the history of Jack Plummer and Jeff Brom, right? Jack Plummer was the quarterback under Jeff Brom at Purdue. He transfers out of Purdue, goes to Cal, and now ends up back with uh, with Brom and with his younger brother, of course, Brian Brom, the offensive coordinator, now at Louisville. What are expectations for Jack Plummer, and do you think it's going to look pretty similar to how it looked at Purdue, which was, you know, just kind of okay until Aiden O'Connell took over and just kind of won that job, seized that job. Is there a feeling that it's going to be just kind of like 
say, you know, business as usual, or is he going to be maybe a different quarterback now and in, in a new place in the same offense? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, he, if he was just sort of quarterback A, like off the pile, I don't know how optimism would necessarily be, but it, the fact that he had years of experience in this offense, I think really uh, ratcheted up everybody's expectations for where they'd be able to be like right off the bat. Like, it, cause if you at least have the quarterback of all people not having to learn the new offense, like it makes everything better. You know, every rep is better uh, b- because he already knows what to do too. And I think has been really um, forthcoming about like feeling like he kind of wasted the opportunity at Purdue uh, and ha- really feels like he has something to prove. And, and I thought, you know, when he got here, uh, there wasn't going to be a lot of competition for him uh, except for, you know, Pierce Clarkson, the pretty highly touted freshman, early enrolled, but then he hurt his foot. Uh, but then after spring ball to bring in Brady Allen, at first I was thinking like, man, do they still want competition? But there's been nothing even close to a hint of anybody sort of alluding to someone other than Plummer being the guy. Like, he is the guy. Uh, and whatever they've done behind him, I don't think it's because they don't have faith in him. They, they really do seem to believe in him. When we talked in March, Mark, we, we talked about potentially seeing something similar to what we saw with uh, Jeff when he was in his playing days under, I believe it was Schnellenberger. Is that right? Yeah. And then we also yeah. talked about his brother, Brian, playing for Jeff and for Bobby Petrino, where in both cases, they were not the, the, the starter. They were you know the, the underclassmen, kind of the backup. But in, in a lot of cases, they were getting one to two drives a game, getting some real live reps against real live competition. And we talked about that being a potential thing with Pierce Clarkston, but does bringing in Brady Allen, bringing in Harrison Bailey, is, is Clarkston still the clear, like number two guy where that might still be in the plans or is there, has there been a shakeup there where somebody else might be the backup and maybe get a, a little bit less of that type of attention? Yeah. I'll tell you what, I, I'm glad that you remembered that I said that uh, because I don't, I don't think that anymore. <laughs> you know, I thought, yeah, I think the last time we spoke that in spring, you know, it would be Plummer and then it would be, you know, you, you Brock Doman and Evan Conley or holdovers, but I don't expect them to, I didn't expect them to be factors and they're not. Uh, and then I thought Pierce Clarkson would be kind of here to push Plummer and maybe would you know, benefit from having spring. And then he really didn't get to do spring at all. And they brought in Brady Allen. Uh, and I think Brady Allen has been fine. Uh, but Pierce Clarkson has had a very good fall camp. And even though he didn't really get to do much in the spring, uh, has had plenty of days where he was definitely the second guy. And so uh, I think there's a chance that Pierce Clarkson still plays. Uh, I think because I think there's a chance he really does legitimately win the number two job uh, as the backup there. I don't think they're going to go out of their way for like a, a package for him to play. Like I may have thought you know, coming out of spring, but I, I do think there's a chance he's just the backup because he's had a really, really nice fall. I mean, strength at the roster, it feels like you could point to the offensive line, right? The offensive line does have a lot of talent returning. Caleb Chandler, all ACC guard, not returning. But the rest of the line's back. I mean, it seems like they're returning a lot up front. Um, Mar Jordan in the backfield, right? There's, there's, you know, there's obviously a very good playmaker there. And then if Plummer ends up being the guy at quarterback, or at least, you know, being good enough while 
Clarkson gets enough reps and practice under his belt to maybe play him a little bit more. It seems like Louisville is going to have some options offensively. Do you see the strength, at least, of the offense being up front, or is it is it somewhere else? You know, I, I think by the end of the year, we'll say it's wide receiver. But I, I understand if anyone is hesitant to say that right now, uh, because a lot of these guys are, are new. But I, I think, based on what I've been hearing about Chris Bell, who's a, a, a freshman who played just a little bit last year, has really shown out. Uh, Jamari Thrash, who came in, Kevin Coleman, who transferred in, uh, both of those guys. Uh, some of the freshmen that uh, enrolled early, and, and I think were really impressive guys. I understand if, if there are questions. And Amari Huggins-Bruce is back, too. He had a, a nice two first years here. Like I think they've got a lot of really nice players there. I understand we've not really seen much in the way of kind of an exotic passing offense when Scott was here, so... I understand not calling it that now, but I really do believe by the end of the year, like there's, there are legitimately four or five guys that I think can play for just about anybody, and that'll be seen as a team strength by the year. Were you surprised at all, Mark? I guess I, I didn't. When he came in and took over, I, I, I feel like the roster maybe wasn't in you know as good a condition as it could have been, but it wasn't in, in poor condition, and yet it seemed like there was a ton of transfer portal activity from from Brahm and his staff you know, upon taking the job, were you surprised by that at all? Or were you fully expecting that this was going to be a, a total overhaul of the roster kind of to the degree that it has been? Well, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, I guess I am, I was surprised a little bit, uh, but I don't think that it really represented um, dissatisfaction or kind of ill will with a lot of these guys. You know, I, I don't think it's your typical new guys coming in and running off guys who don't fit. You know, I think there were several of those guys they would have loved to have stayed who really just got kind of got the bag, so to speak. And was a new coach and all that. Uh, and then I think that Scott has, Scott Satterfield had very uh, specific tastes in terms of types of players to play various roles. And I do think that a good chunk of the transfers out and in had to do with Jeff's preference for I think edge players uh, and, and what's going to be asked of offensive linemen and running backs both uh, really kind of called for different kinds of guys and there was maybe a little bit more willingness to go ahead and just do that that flushing now uh, than, than try to gradually adjust with guys who don't really fit they just go ahead and do it all with the transition so I don't I don't anticipate it being like this on kind of a regular basis You mentioned kind of the the pass rushers in particular, and I, you know, you can't help but look at Louisville's defense and notice that they just lost a lot of really quality players, right? Yaya Diaby's gone, Yusir Abdullah, Momo Sonogo, et cetera. What's the level of concern defensively? Because I feel like, you know, Louisville has recruited well. They recruited well under, they had a, like you mentioned off the top, a good recruiting class coming in under Satterfield. They, you know, from a depth standpoint, they hit the portal, they attacked the portal hard. But with all that said, like there is a lot of production going out the door. So what's what's the level of concern with the defense and who are some playmakers, especially from a pass rush standpoint, to keep an eye on? Yeah, I think this is by far the biggest question on the roster is just I'll just call it kind of front seven. Uh, and, and it's twofold yeah. because I, th- I think they lost good players, like you mentioned, uh, with Yaya Diaby and uh, Yasir Abdullah, Momo Sanogo and others. 
they lost good players, but also by the end of last year, like they were pretty nasty, like scheme wise, they had really done a good job crafting uh, run blitzes and, and various things that really fit that group of guys. And so you've got the double the mystery of sort of no one's really seen this defense that Ron English is bringing in. Uh, this, this sort of version of the four-two-five, and no one's seen a lot of these guys play the roles that they're going to be playing. So, I, I, the answer is I don't. I don't know. Uh, at least right away, you know, if it'll be anywhere close to as good as it was last year, just because it really is going to be hard to replace guys uh, who were as good as those guys uh, were uh, a year ago. They brought in Stephen Heron, who's a local kid who you know, played for three years at Stanford. They feel really good about him. Ashton Galati didn't get a lot of pub. Uh, a year ago, but he is like the sort of emerging guy at the uh, at the defensive end uh, spot. Uh, they're just a huge, really athletic kid uh, that people feel really good about. And then they got a lot of options inside. The guy that I would be watching out for, if he can get and stay healthy, Jermaine Lole brought him in from Arizona State. He was kind of an All Pac-12 guy uh, the year before, uh, and then got hurt in the very missed most of his year before, and then got hurt in the very first game. Uh, last year never got to play, but he's a pretty athletic, kind of big athletic guy that would really be disruptive inside. If he's there, then I think you start feeling a really a lot better about the front seven. But still, without question, the biggest question on the team. Let's take a quick second to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for all things wonderful, wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. They have T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. they got a couple of three-quarter shirts. they got buttons, stickers, all sorts of things. Thanks for men, women, children, something for the whole family. Every Georgia Tech fan in your life can use something from Section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. Uh, they've got some new things all the time coming. Uh, recently came out with some new player shirts, uh, shirts, you know, shirzies, I guess, as the, as the kids would call them. Uh, things with a logo on the front, a number on the front, and a number on the back, along with a name. They got shirts for both Zach Pyron as well as Dante Smith, who kind of project to be Georgia Tech's starting quarterback and running back this year. So if you want to support those players, I believe they get some NIL money out of it too. So just you know, keep that in mind for what it's worth. Uh, they've got the Junior's Grill shirt. They've got all sorts of great, great products there. They've also recently come out with a clearance section. So if you're looking for some T-shirts or a couple of hoodies for a uh, slightly lower price point, go check out the clearance section. Once again, it is section103.com or at section underscore 103 on Instagram. Give them a follow. Check it out. All things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. Again, using the official team colors, the official word marks, everything. It is all officially licensed. It is super comfortable, super high quality. I love mine. You will love yours as well. Check out the performance wear if you're looking for things to keep you cool here during the summer. In any case, one more time, that is section103.com, the Internet's best place for all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. That's it for now. Let's get back to the show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mark, as you look at the roster, is there is there a single spot that you would look at where you would say maybe there's like a, a depth concern where there's 
you know, you feel pretty good about the starters that are playing, but there starts to be a pretty quick drop off if there's an injury or two that pile up and you have to play significant snaps, snaps with the, the backups there. Yeah. I think it's safety now that MJ Griffin's out. You know, I think you start to worry if anything happens mm-hmm. now. I think it, with him, you really did feel like he had some pretty good depth there. So that's probably a bigger question than it would have been even a week ago. Uh, but but I think really overall, the whole defensive line, I'll say I think I have depth concerns just because I'm not exactly sure who the right guys are for each of these spots until we start seeing this defense actually out on the field. And, you know, Ashton Galati's never been the guy. You know, he's I think he's benefited from Diaby being on the other side and Abdullah being on the outside and that sort of thing. Now he's going to be, you know, the focal point. We've never seen that uh, and how he's going to handle that sort of thing. So, you know, I think in terms of numbers and known names, safety I think is a, is an issue. But there might be depth issues because I'm not really sure they've got the same caliber of guys that they had a year ago on the defensive line. I don't want to ask this as a conference realignment question. I want to kind of, because I hate talking about it, and I've, I'm tired of reading about it. But I'm curious, someone who's been around the program like you have, Mark, and you know, you're know you on the radio all the time talking to all the fans and everything. What's the what's the ceiling? Like, What's the expectation in terms of, I'm not just talking about like this season, but what do fans believe the, the ceiling is for the Louisville football program long term? Because it just feels like, in the era of conference realignment, I feel like a lot of schools are just kind of reassessing where they're at and kind of where they're going to fall, you know, um, when the time comes and, you know, if they have to <laughs> have to head to a different conference. So I'm just curious, yeah. like, where do Louisville fans and media like kind of expect the program to be maybe not just right now, but maybe in the next five years in terms of wins and losses, ceiling, consistent New Year's Six team? Like, what, where, where are the expectations around the football program? Now, especially that you don't have divisions, uh, I think the expectation is not out. It's not outrageous. Like, I don't think Louisville fans truly uh, expect Louisville to develop into, you know, peak Clemson or Florida State or something like there are things about them that will never be true of Louisville. And I think people here are savvy enough to understand that. And that's not the expectation. Louisville at its best is always a bit overachieving. But, you know, I think that, like, top end, what people would just love to see is what happens if Jeff Brom just stays here for 15 years? I think most people here think Louisville, like, at its best with a guy that wants to be here and is trying to shape this thing and it's not just sort of, you know, the next rung on the ladder uh, or anything like that. I think Louisville fans think it could be like Virginia Tech at its best where you have that that crazy run uh, of 10-ish win seasons. They even had one chance to play for a national championship. But those teams always had a style. They had, you know, a, a a consistent way of playing and style of player that you came to expect from them and that sort of thing. I think that's Louisville's, like, absolute best is being like that. And maybe you get lucky, you know, in one of those uh, seasons or something. Uh, but I, I think that's the where I would say, like, that's what people think Louisville can be at its best. Yeah, and you've mentioned before, Mark, that Louisville historically, I think it's nobody has been there for more than six years, I think you said. It's always been very transient relative to other programs always. like that. With the exception of Howard Schnellenberger, yeah. basically, that's it. 
They've yeah. never had that guy, and, and it, it it's will always be. been such a. It's always been such a funny dichotomy here because, for basketball, you had two coaches for like fifty-five years or whatever it was with Denny Crum and, and Rick Pitino. Like you, Hall of Fame guys uh, who had options, you know, weren't from here, couldn't leave, and then you just couldn't get a, a football coach to stay. And hopefully, you get to get off that treadmill for a little while. Yep. I was going to ask you too, and I, I forget if I had mentioned this maybe in the one we did in March, but something I had thought about, you know, for years as we've talked about Jeff Brom being a potential Louisville head coaching candidate was that I, I felt like Brom and what he wants to do, the, the way that he wants to design and run his team, I've always felt like that fits better at Louisville than it did at Purdue. You know, and it, a guy who wants to throw the ball, have a, you know, a, a fairly passing centric offense. I don't feel like that works in the Big Ten West as well as it does in the ACC. I don't feel like you know recruiting out of Florida and such recruits as, or works as well at Purdue as it does at Louisville. Like, have you ever gotten that sense, even before all of this really kind of came to be, like that Louisville just seems like it would fit better for what he's trying to do and his preferences as a coach? A hundred percent. And I, I think I would add that Louisville fans have a – a preferred style, you know, that you know, Louisville fans, I can still vividly remember that it didn't quite get to the point of like not being happy that they were winning, but it got real close. Charlie is the only guy at Louisville that's won where people were like, this is kind of boring because he just loved defense and, you know, and it was pretty straightforward. But before that, I mean, it's Howard Schnellenberger, one of the best offensive minds ever in football. John L. Smith is, is a, a, Tremendous, crazy, but he's, you know, a tremendous offensive mind. Bobby Petrino, Bobby Petrino again, like offense and a certain kind of offense, particularly like throwing the ball. And Louisville's history is filled with quarterbacks that are crazy good for a place like Louisville. Uh, and so I think there's a, a tremendous amount of excitement for it. Yes, I do think it's a better fit, but it also is like what people are just dying to watch. Like people here just want to watch that whole style of doing things. God never really got that either. There's a lot. Like I keep saying. Taking a look at the schedule, Mark, we've touched on this briefly, but no Florida State, Clemson, Notre Dame at home. Sets up pretty nicely. <laughs> like that's been the narrative in the offseason. It's yeah. Louisville could win nine or ten games and it might not necessarily mean they're a nine and ten win team like under Brom in year one. Or so it's like, look at this schedule and show me where the losses are. And the more I look at it, the more I wonder where are these losses going to come. Um, really, just a couple tricky spots. I mean, I think the three game stretch end of September through uh, at Pitt before the bye is probably the toughest segment of the schedule. Yeah. But this feels like a schedule that sets up quite nicely. Oh, the schedule is a gift. I mean, it, it truly is. Don't play Florida State, Clemson, or North Carolina. Get your rival game at the end of the year at home. Get Notre Dame at home. And even two of the road games are not even at the home stadium. You know, Georgia Tech's at Benz or whatever it is. Uh, and and Indiana is in Indianapolis. There'll be twice as many Louisville fans as IU fans. And so, like, it couldn't have been designed any more friendly uh, and like I said, I think uh, a little bit earlier, they're not even going to have to be 
appreciably better as a team than they were a year ago. And they'll win more games than they did. Just this schedule is a, is, it's a gift. Uh, I think the trips to Pitt and Miami and NC State are all going to be really tough. Uh, and then I think the Notre Dame and Kentucky games at home will be really tough. And basically, the difference between, say, 9-3 and three and 7-5 and, and, and five or whatever is going to be how they do in those five games. The better they do in those five games, the better their record will be. I think they'll win the others. They get you know, uh, IU, Georgia Tech, Murray State, and both Virginias. And then it's just about what can you tack on to that. A couple of quirks I'll call out. As you mentioned, Mark, I mean, only three true road games. Two other technically road games are, are neutral site games. And, uh, I mean, I will I will point out that Georgia Tech, being at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, that's like a, a mile and change down the road from Bobby Dodd Stadium. But <laughs> from the standpoint of being able to fill it and ticket sales and all that, I mean, Louisville's going to get a pretty good deal on that, you know, being able to fill that stadium pretty well, I, I would venture. Um but then the other games, I mean, the other thing is, is, I think is, if I'm counting right, four of the 12 games are weeknight games. So you've got, you start on a Friday night, yeah. then Thursday night against Murray State, and then a Friday at NC State, and then later Thursday against Virginia. Um, just kind of a quirky schedule. The, the thing I was, I was kind of looking at, too, is, well, we talked about Clemson and their schedule. There's a couple of, like, spots that were maybe a little bit treacherous, you know, look-ahead spots, let-down spots, that kind of thing. I don't know that I'm really seeing anything here again, other than maybe the three game stretch, you know, end of September through early October and at NC state, Notre Dame and at Pittsburgh. Are there any spots on this schedule that make you nervous at all of like, well, maybe here's a chance to, to drop a dumb one. Cause I don't know that I'm seeing it. I, I that's the funny thing about it. I think nothing jumps out as like, I could see that. Of course I couldn't have picked what happened with, let's say with Boston college a year ago either, but like nothing jumps out as, Oh, here is a place where it, it just looks like here are ones they ought to win. And then here are a bunch of 50, 50 to, to 60, 40 kinds of games. And it just doesn't look like any that look dangerous. Although I think if you talk to enough Louisville fans, this opener is scary <laughs> just because it's, we don't really know what it's going to look like when he totally gets to put, you know, his imprint on things. And they're being pretty tight-lipped about who the quarterback might be. And I, I think Louisville fans themselves have a, a spooked memory of 2017 going to face Jeff Brom and Purdue in his first game at Purdue with Lamar coming back and Louisville was preseason ranked and all that. And Louisville had to hold on to win that game in the last possession. Uh, and so the, the just... What a, a team in their first year as the opponent. I think there's a lot of uh, trepidation that this one uh, could be one that they trip over to start the year. I don't know how tech fans feel about that. But there's fear. I, I've said a, a couple times that, you know, if you if you want to get this Louisville team at some point, it's get them early. You know, so I think yeah. from a scheduling standpoint for Georgia Tech, it's nice playing that game first off the bat. But uh, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, though. I feel like we've gone through a bunch of these schedules in the previews and it always comes up as, yeah, uh, oh, you get Louisville in September? That's that's pretty good. And then if you're in Virginia Tech's case, it was like, oh, you get to go to Louisville in November? That really sucks. <laughs> if you're going to get Jeff Brom in year one, get him early. Uh, but then again, I, I just – I think, Joey, to answer your question – the only spot I could see 
and this isn't even a look ahead. This is just because you're coming off a bye. That Duke game on October 28th, Duke's okay. really well coached and super annoying. You know, and Riley Leonard was real good last year. That's a good that's spot. That's it. I, I, I mean, I, yeah. I just, I, and the, the only reason I say that is because you never know how your team's going to look after a bye. And we've seen oh, some sure. weird, especially watching as much ACC football as the three of us watch, we've seen <laughs> some weird shit coming out of bye weeks with teams across the conference. Maybe there would be a spot, but then again, you get that at home, right? So I don't know. I guess if you had to pick one, I, I like that Georgia Tech spot, Mark, but that's the only other spot on this schedule no, I can look I, at. And I'm like, yeah, that might be a weird, I, weird game. I think, Duke's, I think Duke is a really good call. I, I think you're right. I think that's, that's a better... A one that uh, that I should have maybe called a little bit more attention to. Mike Elko's great coach. I mean, just did a tremendous job uh, right off the bat uh, there. And, and it's crazy to talk about that, which I, it was every bit as good as we're describing. And then to see what's happening at the two Virginias, uh, it's <laughs> they are a disaster, uh, both of them. And I know there's been tragedy, so I'm not making light you know, of that. It was disaster before that, uh, and it's. It's crazy to have mentioned, you know, peak Virginia Tech as the goal or whatever earlier, uh, just just to see how easily that can be unraveled. We're experiencing it here on the men's basketball side, same kind of thing. Uh, but that's the it's not automatic and it's like not self-perpetuating and it's crazy how quickly it can sort of get off the rails. One other thing I'll call out is some, it's a little similar to something I think that came up in the Syracuse preview is we, we mentioned those three games in a row, and I'll even throw in the Boston College game before that. That's, that's four straight games against what I would consider very physical programs. I think that's the other thing that maybe you get a little nervous about there in the middle of the schedule is if, if injuries were to start to pile up. I think that's maybe the only other thing to be a little bit concerned about. I don't. Yeah, but, you know, I, you don't think so? You disagree? Like Big Ten. <laughs> well, like, big, even the Big Ten days, like, those those teams at Purdue, they, they played some pretty gross kind of physical Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, and they, I think, I think they weathered it okay. Held up all right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's fair enough. I, I was just going to say, I, I look at this, and I just don't see how it could be worse than eight and four. I think I'm going to say eight and four just because the question marks on defense and then maybe, you know, Jack Plummer's a fine quarterback, but, you know, I don't know a thousand percent if, you know, he'll stand the test of time, so to speak, right? I, I don't know. Um, you have to really talk yourself into anything worse than that i i just don't really i mean just from a talent standpoint louisville's more talented than pretty almost their entire schedule i i nc state is a comp notre dame is probably is probably more talented but you get them at home at pit pit's a tough game pit's a tough team that that's a tough game on the road that's gonna be a really hard but game, i struggle yeah. to find and then can and then Kentucky at the end of the year is, is Kentucky. So I'm, I'm probably going to go eight and four. I I don't know. I could see if I could see, a, you know, a, I mean, I guess they play five games in September. I could see, a, you know, maybe a four and one start. Maybe the loss being at NC State and then 
Notre Dame and Pitt. I mean, could could Louisville be four and three and then not lose until Kentucky? Yeah. <laughs> like, I think the expectation would be coming out of the bye week, they wouldn't lose until Kentucky. Uh, I don't really think going to Miami is really that tough of a spot in mid-November. First of all, you're not worried about going on the road to play Miami. Secondly, who knows, and Joey and I have said this on a couple different uh, previews, who knows what Miami's going to be in mid-November? No kidding. Like, it's it's a crystal ball team, and they're trying to do a new culture. It's still Miami, right? It's still Miami. They got historically some quit in them in November if the, the thing's not going right. I'm, I'm going to go with 8-4, and four, and I think it could definitely be better, more like 9-3. and three. I think this is, I think just by default, and it, you know, from a, Looking across the conference, we've been trying to figure out who the third best team is, Mark, in the ACC. Like, we're just not sure. Like, on paper, we're just not sure who that is. And to be honest with you, I'm not even sure if Louisville, from a, from a like, personnel standpoint, is the third best team in the ACC. But I think they could have the third best record. I mean, mm-hmm. could they backdoor their way into an ACC championship game just by nature of their schedule? Yeah. Like, I think they definitely yeah. could. I What you said earlier was right on the money if they... Show me what the losses are. If they win the right games, they could be in the in the conference championship by the time it's all said and done. It's definitely possible. It's definitely a, a possibility for sure. Yeah, if they if they go nine and three, Mark, you... and two of the losses are if two and two of the losses are Notre Dame and Kentucky, like they're going, they're going to make the ACC championship game because they would have every tie. Yeah, they'll be in. Uh, and and not only do they not play Florida State, Clemson, Carolina, all three of those all play each other. So I mean, there's just there's opportunities. Yeah. You know, I, I think you look at this year, the schedule, if like if you just make Louisville about as good as a year ago, they'll go eight and four. And if they're a little better than a year ago, they'll go nine and three. And if they if they're about the same or or just have some bad luck, they'll go seven and five. Like that's that's about how it breaks down. It's hard to envision them being a lot better. Like if, if everything's just fantastic, you know, they could go ten and two. Uh, but I don't I don't even locally, even even in enthusiasm, we don't hear that. Do you have an official record prediction, Mark, that you're willing to stick to? I, I've been saying nine and three. Like I, th- I think they're going to get the better end of of what we've been talking about. Um, and but I, I can't tell you that I know with certainty that I'm like I'm a, which three I think are the three. You know, I I just sort of flutter between NC State Pitt. Kentucky, Notre Dame, and Miami, and just like which of those? I think I'm basically saying they'll go two and three in those games, and that's nine and three, and, and then take care of the others. Yep. And I don't, and that doesn't even feel out on a limb, and it's still over their like season total, uh, eight and a half. But it it doesn't even feel like it's all that reckless of a bet. One other thing I will mention that I just noticed a second ago. By the way, speaking of spots. Uh, on this schedule, we do realize where that Miami game sits on the schedule for Miami, right? The week after Florida State, right? That's the week after the Florida State game where I think that they might get trounced a little bit. <laughs> and a Miami team coming off a trouncing by Florida State seems to be easy pickings in recent years. So that that doesn't hurt things at all for, for Louisville's case either. Um, yeah, I, I think you said it best earlier. Like, that, that with, uh, with Miami, like... There's no telling where they'll be, like in the head, by by the time that Louisville plays them. They could be rolling, and it could be a real buzzsaw down there, uh, or they could be what they were a year ago. And... 
I want to say nine and three. I feel like I'm going to go with eight and four, could, though, and just I could see being safe and going eight. And yeah, four. yeah. I don't think that's crazy. Definite upside there, and, and like we said, I mean, if everything kind of clicks and, and goes well, I mean, I, double digits is not off the table at all. And it, it is interesting to me that they're, I would say, probably the two toughest games on the schedule are out of conference games, like you kind of were alluding to yeah. there, Mark, with Notre Dame and Kentucky. Like, you know, it, it is not off the table at all for them to run this, run the table off the table to run the table uh, in, in the ACC games and, yeah, find themselves in Charlotte in early December. Yeah, they could finish in the top two but not be one of the two best teams. Yep. It sets, it, it sets up great for that to be a possibility. I, mm-hmm. yep. And then the interesting part will be what does year two look like? And I haven't looked at Louisville's schedule mark in year two, so I don't know. This is me kind of it's a little harder. driving blind here. <laughs> Yeah, but little, I would assume it's – I would. my assumption would be it's a little bit harder, right? Yeah. yeah. So if it is a little bit this harder, the then, year. you know, yeah, yeah. And what do and what do the fans do, right, if Louisville were to go to the higher end this year, right, if they go 10-2, and two, and then let's say Louisville has a better team on the field next year but has a worse record. Like, how do fans react to that? That, that would be from a third-party neutral – doesn't care what Louisville does or doesn't do. I'd be really interested in seeing what what that looks like uh, from a. Let's see if the fans go crazy on social media. I would be looking <laughs> forward to there. <laughs> well, look, I I think if you ask the average fan, how how fun would it be, or how much would you like to go through the agony of year two, not being as good as the ten and two was in year one, they'd be like, I'll take that problem. That sounds like a good problem. I don't want to do that. So, Fair. Uh, Fair enough. If that's what happens, I, I think we'll take it after you know everything that's gone on uh, the last couple of years. But uh, look, I think it's it's a fa- I get what you're saying. It's a totally fair point, uh, and I, I think Jeff's going to get a lot of leeway uh, just because of how beloved he is. And then, especially if they really mm-hmm. do make hey year one, he's going to have he's going to have a lot of leeway for a long time. Get that much more leash that way. Yep, I'd imagine. Mike, that's all I got from Mark. Anything else? No. Um, Mark, appreciate you joining us. As always, uh, we, as we like to do, just give you an opportunity to go ahead and plug your stuff. Sure. I, listen, we're on uh, 93.9 The Ville Monday through Friday uh, here uh, in Louisville, and you can just go to 93.9theville.com and listen to us on the podcast, too. Uh, ready for the freaking season to get here. So I, I think I'm going to be in Atlanta for this one. We're still trying to work that out, so hopefully uh be able to make that trip. Absolutely. Are you doing uh, post-game shows again this year, Mark? I am. I am. I uh, I, I listened in to the uh, to one of them. I, I won't. I won't bring up which one it was because it was a a pretty brutal loss and it was kind of cathartic hearing <laughs> hearing you talk and take calls and such after the game, but. Uh, in any case, that's another fun, uh, a good, good fan experience. Those are the ones people tend to so remember. Check them out after games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. We'd love to have you back on sometime. Your time. Yeah. Any, anytime you guys. Absolutely. All right, Mike, let's get out of here. Let's go preview some more teams. In the meantime, we're on Twitter at FTRS Joey at Mike McDaniel SI together at BC podcast ACC. Go find him on Twitter at Mark Ennis. All one word. 
uh, or on X or whatever we're calling it these days. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, all those other good places you go find your podcast. Go find us there. Uh, you can send us an email to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Uh, where else on the social media is Mark? Mike? Mike. Mark. Mike. Joey. Yeah. You Joseph. Uh, <laughs> uh, Facebook.com slash basketballconference rate review. Find some of our podcasts there. Uh, Please do. Instagram also at mm-hmm. BC Podcast ACC. For YouTube at at the ACC football podcast, I believe. Absolutely. Please do. Please do. Am I forgetting anything? I think that's it. You threw me off by calling me Mark. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I kind of stumbled it a little bit. I tripped over myself, tripped over my words, but I, I'm I'm ready for the next preview, Joey. We are almost done and almost into a season preview ourselves, which we'll be recording here sometime. That's right. We're on the home stretch here. Uh, we're, we are working on a, a one final wrap-up preview that we will do before the official week one preview which is coming your way very very soon so keep it tuned here uh we will we will get you ready for the season and then we will be hitting it hitting the ground running with uh week one preview here very very shortly so keep it tuned here yep a lot of podcast content coming as usual that's right that's right my wife is thrilled about the amount of time i'm spending doing it so i, I was gonna say yeah I, I yeah i we can talk about that off air that, that's uh <laughs> you you know what? Sounds like we're married. That's right. That's right. Are you saying like we're both individually married or like married to each other? Because some days. Well, yeah. I mean, I, that's a question for our respective wives, I think. There you go. Valid question. Yeah. On that note, Mike, I think that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? Now nah, we're all set. On to the next one. You want to come preview some more teams? Do it. All right. Until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and for Mr. Mark Ennis, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go Cards and go ACC. Go Cards!